Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Let's go ahead and pray and jump into Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 26. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we just pray as we open up the Bible that you would help us to understand your will. God, I ask for everybody that's tuning in right now that you would teach us, that you would instruct us. Lord, we pray that you would give us a passion for your word, but also to live out what your word says. I pray for every person that is a part of Northwest Church and any guest that is joining online with us today. I pray for your blessing. I pray for you to strengthen us, for you to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for how you will use this time for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We are in the book of Matthew. We've been walking through the book of Matthew together. And I already told you this yesterday, but something that I'm probably going to be doing in the future is I'll be referencing the daily Bible reading plan, but I will actually just walk through the entirety of the Bible. I just want to go chapter by chapter because I feel like because when we're only here uh, Wednesday through Friday, that's just three days out of seven, we skip so many chapters and we're not able to really get the fullest picture. And I just want to walk all the way through books of the Bible. So I don't know if I'm going to call it book by book or whatever, but after the book of Matthew, uh, we're just going to keep going through the entire Bible and, and just pick up in every chapter that we left off. And so when it's all said and done, maybe uh, throughout a year, we'll go through all of the Bible together, or at least half of the Bible. So I'm just going to go through the New Testament, and then we're going to go through the Old Testament um, or maybe I'll just go one book at a time. I'll go old and new, and that's just how we'll do it. But I really have a heart to just walk through the entire Bible and not miss a chapter. So that's what's going to be happening as we finish Matthew chapter, or really just tomorrow we're going to do Matthew chapter 27. And uh, as we conclude the book of Matthew, we'll just keep going throughout the, the Bible. So look forward to that. As I said, Matthew chapter 26, let's uh, go ahead and read uh, just the first what, 19 verses, because I see the contrast and really the parallel and this, the continuation of the story throughout those verses, and we'll, we'll reserve the others for a different time. But here's what it says, Matthew 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man must be handed over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial." 
Truly I say to you, wherever the, this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Isn't that powerful? That's actually true. Here we are in 2020, and we're reading not only about Jesus' death and resurrection, which is soon to come, but we're reading about what this woman did in faith. That's very powerful. Verse 14, then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me to, to betray Jesus, to betray him? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. And I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did just as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, we know from Matthew chapter 25, which is what we looked at yesterday, that Jesus was talking about a different eschatological view, like what the end times would truly look like. He knows that he's going to die, he's going to be buried, he's going to rise again, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He understands that the disciples don't fully understand. They still have a different messianic eschatology. They're waiting for Jesus to just sort of rise up in power. Um, they don't exactly know how that's going to look, but they do still think that's going to happen. The concept of him dying and rising again, although Jesus has clearly told them that that's going to happen, it was not clear in their minds. This just was not their theology. And so they're still waiting for this moment to rise up. They're still waiting for this power, uh, for Jesus to step into this military political power. They're waiting. They're watching. So Jesus kind of starts to prepare their hearts about waiting and watching and what that really looks like, expecting. And he's talking about his second coming. He's preparing them, teaching them, helping them understand what they're thinking is not going to happen. It's going to look a lot different. And they would, of course, reflect on his words in Matthew 25, Matthew 24, when Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the Father. They would now have a fuller view of what was really happening and what Jesus was really talking about. But Matthew 26 is built upon the conversation that Jesus brings about watching, waiting, praying, expecting, hoping, and talking, of course, about his second coming. Then he actually brings up what the judgment is going to look like for those that are going to be on his right and his left, those that are going to enter into the joy of the kingdom of God, and those that are going to be put out of the kingdom of God. And he's really getting uh, sober as it pertains to the next life. And a lot of people try to make this sort of ambiguous. They, they lack a clarity when it comes to what Jesus meant. But it's very sober. It's very serious, which we shared yesterday. Now, this conversation, and Jesus is really on his way to the cross. He's just a few days away. Uh, many people believe that it just said two days away from the Passover. We know that Jesus was the Passover lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we open up uh, based on these teachings that Jesus was giving, providing a new understanding of the end times eschatology, properly positioning the disciples for when they came into this revelation. We see in the background, many things are at work here um, in, in this story that's unfolding where Jesus is definitely days away from the crucifixion. We see that Caiaphas and the religious leaders are plotting to get Jesus so that they could actually take him out. 
In fact, every time Caiaphas, the high priest, is mentioned, there's somehow a plot that is transpiring, that he's trying to take Jesus out. And so very wicked, very evil person. These were evil times, obviously, and it just shows the the evil of humanity to conspire against the Son of God. That really is the the epitome of our sin, right? That is that is what our sin does. Our sin just literally is it it puts out the plan of God. It squelches what God has always wanted to do with His own uh, creation, with His people. Those that were made in the in- image of God have been corrupted, and this just shows it in such a full view. So we read here in the first couple of verses in Matthew 26, what's happening. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the crucifixion. In the background, we see people plotting against Jesus. And then this moment in Bethany, it says that uh, at Simon the leper's house, there's this experience that we read about. And it's not only, this is not only the only place in scripture where it's mentioned. We see it in in Matthew, or sorry, Mark 14, we see it in John chapter 12, where there's this woman. John calls her Mary, so we know that that's the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary of Bethany. And she actually takes out this jar of perfume, this alabaster vial, and breaks that, which is makes it more costly. Alabaster was like a marble. Some say it was see-through, some say it wasn't. It really just depends on who you read, but This was a very costly uh, jar of perfume. The passage, I believe, in John chapter 12 said that it was worth potentially 300 denarii, which is an entire year's wage for a laborer. Very costly. It could have even been the dowry or the inheritance that this woman had. So she was giving everything. This This is the contrast of worship. And I want to frame up this picture that we're reading about. So we have here from verse 6, we have the woman. We also have in this story, we have Judas, and then we have the disciples. So there's Jesus, of course, and he's on the receiving end of this. But I just want to put into full view right now, we have the picture of the woman. We have the picture of Judas, who's the one that has the voice about what the woman is doing. So the action of the woman, the voice of Judas, and the complicity of the disciples to affirm what they think conventional wisdom would suggest from the mouth of Judas. So you have these three people, and obviously, Jesus affirms the woman, the action of the woman, the faith of the woman, and we want to look at this story and say, man, this woman was worshiping in this moment, but it wasn't the only person, it wasn't the only narrative, it wasn't the only thought that was going on at that time. And as we as we look at this story, we have to see that this is really a moment of worship. This is a moment where somebody gave everything for Jesus. And that's what we see here. She was compelled to give everything. That's what worship actually is. It's where we literally lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. This was financially, this was all that she had, this vial of perfume, this alabaster vial. We see that she physically gave what she owned. But that's what worship does. Worship compels us to give what we have. And that's really what we want to look at today. What I want to talk about today is what does worship really mean? I love that we worship, uh, that we worship in song. There's over 900 verses, including the Psalms, obviously, where we worship God in song. Hebrews chapter 13 that talks about um, that we would offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. We sing unto the Lord. The Bible says that out of the overflow 
of our heart, our mouth speaks. So certainly worship comes out of our heart by coming out of our mouth. What we say has a lot to do with how we worship. And there's a power in praising God in song. There's a power in praising God, worshiping him with our words. We never want to minimize that. But worship goes far beyond what we merely say. Worship goes far beyond um, just the thoughts, just the conversation, just the praise, just the offering of the fruit of our lips. Worship is us being a living sacrifice. And that's giving God our time, our talent, and our treasure. Everything that comprises our life is something that we offer to the Lord. And so we will be challenged in this life. There will be moments where we will have to choose what we're going to worship, what we're going to give our time, our talent, and our treasure for. Now, I'm not suggesting that every moment of every day, every single second, like everything's a choice. It's God or, or something else. But the priority of our life, the, the absolute uh, first in our life is always Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And so there are moments where we do, in, in contrast or in competition with all of these other things, we choose him over everything else. And this, to me, is a moment, it's a prophetic moment, actually, where this woman worships Jesus. Now, just as we go through this passage, I just want to point out some things. Verse 6, it says, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, Simon the leper, we don't exactly know who he was. It references him as a leper. We know that it would, they would have broken Mosaic law, according to Leviticus, if they were in his house and he, was still, he still had leprosy. So we obviously believe that Jesus healed him. And that's, that starts off with being in someone's home where there's a testimony. This would not have happened with a rabbi and his disciples prior to this healing, and no other rabbi could heal. And so here they are in the home of Simon the leper, and Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and the sister of Martha comes with a very costly perfume, alabaster vial of perfume, and she pours it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now this is really uh, important. She poured it on his head, but she did not know what she was doing. There's no evidence to suggest that she knew or understood that Jesus was going to die and be buried. And so this really was an act of faith. This was just her offering, this compelling inside of her to do what she felt she was supposed to do. And I just want to point that out. That's what worship is often like. It can look like giving money. It can look... It can look like giving time. It can look like a lot of things, but there's this inward compelling through the Holy Spirit to do something. And, and again, it's an action and not just words. And so she is moved to do this. She does that very thing. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and they said, why this waste? And I have found this to be the case. Sometimes when we worship God with our time, talent, and treasure, other people's perspective of what we're doing, what we're giving, and how we're living can often be, why are you doing what you're doing? Why would you do that? That's a waste. See, they're thinking that this is a waste. And by the way, Judas was the one leading that voice. Judas, the greedy one. Judas, the one who just sells Jesus out right after this very thing. And, and it could have been. It seems to me that this could have been the actual straw that broke the camel's back. G Judas saw that Jesus affirmed this woman who would have broken this very expensive bottle of perfume and poured it over his head. He affirms her 
Judas speaks up and said, this could have been given to the poor. Of course, he was thinking about himself. He was thinking about what he would have been able to take out of the treasury box because he was stewarding that. So he's thinking in a greedy manner, makes a a pious comment, thinking that he's going to draw attention to himself. I'm right. I'm righteous. This woman's acting in faith. And he probably got angry because Jesus affirmed her. And that's the straw that broke the camel's back. He goes then to the religious leaders and he sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's all it took was just 30 pieces of silver for for Judas to sell out Jesus. That's amazing. And so we hear, so we see this, there's this perspective, you know, this, why would you do something like this? Um, They're indignant. They're upset. The other disciples say, yeah, Judas is right. Why would this, why would this happen? And Jesus, uh, he affirms her very powerful, very powerful moment. It says in verse 10 through 11, as we're reading here, why do you bother the woman? Jesus says to the disciples, for she has done a good deed to me. You do not, uh, for you always have the poor. And we're thinking of like Deuteronomy chapter uh, 15. Obviously, as a Jewish rabbi, Jesus would have not only given to the poor, but affirmed giving to the poor. He's not taking away from that. And uh, they're trying to be righteous in this moment by referring back to the law. And Jesus is like, you will always have the poor with you. You will always be able to give to the poor. But they don't recognize what is exactly happening. But you do not always have me, for when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Here he is bringing up an understanding of what's about to happen. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, uh, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Again, Jesus is not minimizing giving to the poor. He affirms Deuteronomy 15. He affirms giving alms, giving to the poor. This is very important. This is obviously something that we see happens throughout the early church. This is something that uh, Jesus did and the disciples did. And this is just, again, we have the disciples' perspective. They're missing what's happening. They're referring, in a religious sense, they're referring to what they think should happen. Judas, obviously motivated by the flesh, is talking about what he thinks. The disciples are throwing their opinion in on this. And, um, but Jesus makes this prophetic claim. Wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman did will also be shared. And here we are, 2020. We're talking about what this woman did in her worship of Jesus. Sometimes our worship will be radical. And when we worship God, when it's that we give something away or we make a decision to to put our life into his hands in entirety. I mean, maybe there's a shift. Maybe there's a decision of faith or whatever it is. But we're just giving something to Jesus. And in that particular place or in that situation, there will be other voices to come to come against it. They don't understand, or maybe they're acting out speaking in the flesh. We see it here, but we also see it in the world that we live in. I don't want to take away from the messianic moment that we're reading about today by just making it utterly 2020, but I'm saying that as we reflect on this and extrapolate a principle, we must know that our mo- the movement of faith, the steps of faith that we take to worship God. We've been preaching about and talking about in the daily word that it's all about sacrificing our lives, our time, our talent, our treasure for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. When we talk about something as serious that, as that, we have to also say that when we do those kinds of things, it will be uncomfortable, it will be costly, and people will say something. 
because not everybody is going to understand what God has called us to do, what we feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to do. And so I just want to remind us today that God has called us to be worshipers in spirit and in truth, and it's going to be costly. It's going to be sacrificial. We want to give God our whole lives, and there will come times like this for this woman where we will actually put something into his hands. We will move towards Jesus in a very dramatic way, and that's powerful. It doesn't have to be every day, but there will be times like this, and we've got to be prepared for not everybody understanding what God has called us to do. And my sense really is this, is that as we prepare our hearts and our lives and our church for revival, the revival that we're certainly waiting for, praying for, expecting for uh, to have happen in our times, I believe that God's going to provoke us. God's going to, he's going to convict us. He's going to put things on our heart to do and to step forward into things that we've never done before, places we've never gone before, decisions we've never made before. And it doesn't put down where we've gone and what we've done and decisions we've made, not at all. But what it does is saying that as we move towards Jesus in these days to see a great revival, we're going to move sacrificially. It's going to be costly. We understand that this is a prophetic moment that we're in. I mean, we really do believe that the harvest of the earth is at our hands right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so while this was a specific time period, I believe in many ways we're living in a time period that could in fact be that last and great harvest. I don't know, but I feel like the Lord is preparing us. I feel like the Lord is preparing us in such a way where he wants us to be like the woman who was willing to to break the vial of perfume and give everything that she had. I feel like the Lord is prepping us. He's preparing our hearts. I want you to give everything that you have. I want you to get ready for this last and great harvest where Jesus is going to come back and going to return. People say, oh, that's a long way off. That's what people always have said. They've always said that it's a long way off. We don't know the day or the hour, but Jesus is preparing us to be worshipers in spirit and in truth and not to hold anything back. See, the contrast was the woman and the action that she, that she, that she displays here in this passage. We also see Judas. Here's the greedy disciple who's going to betray Jesus, and he has this voice. Here's what should have happened. Of course, he's got an answer for everything, right? He's got a perspective for everything that should have happened. Here's what should have happened, and that's what his, that's what his comment was. And then the disciples, and they're sort of outside. They're looking at what the woman did. They're listening to what Judas said, and they're like, yeah, Judas is right. We're the disciples, okay? And we're reading this passage, and we're affirming the woman and the prophetic action that she took. And the Lord is calling us to these types of actions in our lives. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what it means for me right now. I know that my wife and I and our family, we've talked about things that we feel like the Lord is calling us to do, actions that he wants us to take. And I was really just thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about how we're accountable to the Lord. When we, when we meet him, when we die and we stand in front of Jesus, we're not just accountable for just our words, we're accountable for our deeds. And our actions are going to speak volumes, what we did with what we had. This woman is an example to us that, that she had this time with Jesus before he was about to be crucified. She didn't know that, but what she knew is I have to give everything to him. That's worship. Worship is giving everything that you have to Jesus. And there are times where he will reveal 
that this is that moment. I want you to not hold back. I want you to not be reluctant. I want you to stop being hesitant. This is that moment. Today is that day. Right here and right now. Go all in. And can I just tell you, as the church embraces a new repentance in our world to see a great harvest, to see a mighty revival come, we're going to have to be those costly Christians. We're going to have to take those courageous steps. We're going to have to stop looking at our past and stop thinking that Christianity is about morality. He's the one that produces our sanctification, but it's about righteous activity. And as we move towards God in worshiping Him in spirit and truth, we give Him everything of our lives, we find that our morality looks more and more like Him. And what I mean by that is we're not just focusing on not doing bad things. We're focusing on doing righteous. We're focusing on doing justice. We're focusing on giving God our lives. And as we do that, we find that we don't have time for sin. It's called displacement. When we're busy worshiping God, we don't have time sin. When we're busy giving God everything we have, we don't have anything left to give to the bad. But I feel like what's happened is, and this is what Phariseeism can be, is that we focus on the letter of the law. We focus on getting everything exact. We focus on locking down the specifics and making sure that our lives fit into this little box where we don't do anything bad. And all the while we lose our focus of just laying it all at his feet. And we judge people that do those things. And that's what Phariseeism can be. And I don't want to be, I don't want to participate in that at all. I want to be somebody that's quick to go to my knees. I want to be somebody that's quick to give God everything. I want to be, I want to be like this woman. I want to be a worshiper like this woman. And here we have the disciples criticizing what she's doing. That's the wrong thing to do at the wrong time. We want to be like the woman and not like the disciples in that moment. Amen. We want to be worshipers, giving God everything in every moment where we're compelled. We just move towards him and all that we are. And they said, this is what Judas said. This was a waste. That's what Judas said. This was a waste. What she did and what she gave her everything to was a waste. Now think about that for a moment. And Jesus goes, this was not a waste. You always have the poor with you. You can always give, but don't make her worship a wasteful moment. That is not what happened. And God wants us to know the same thing, that he's calling us prophetically to give everything to him. And I want to encourage you, just whatever the Holy Spirit tells you in these days, we are preparing for the harvest of the earth, a mighty revival, and God is going to push us. Some of us have known the Lord a long time, and God's going to move on our hearts to give everything. God's going to move on our hearts to do stuff we've never done. God is going to move on our hearts to just break the vial of perfume, the thing that we've been saving up, He's going to call us to do radical things with that. You know, what's the point of storing up treasure on earth when we have very little in heaven? Where moth and rust destroy, destroy, where thieves break in and steal. What's the point of having everything in this life and having so little when we transition into eternity? There's no point. And so we take what God's given us in this life and we lay it all at his feet. And as we do that, we watch how the joy of the Lord will be restored to us. The joy of our salvation will be full. We'll, we'll see God do great and mighty things. Amen. I was thinking about some things I was the Lord was putting on my heart to do, but that would take me a long time to explain. Maybe in the days to come. Well, let's pray into that, that we would be worshipers in spirit and in truth, not hindered by anything, but rather giving everything. Amen. 
Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the example of Mary of, of Bethany. And that even in the midst, in the company of your disciples, she gave what she had. She gave everything and she was criticized for it. And Lord, we realize and recognize today that there will be moments like this for us. And we don't want to be hesitant or reluctant at all. Lord, I pray that whatever you've put into our hands, whatever you've given to us, whatever you've allowed us to steward, I just pray, God, that we wouldn't hesitate with how you call us to lay that down at your feet, where you call us to give everything at this time, in this moment. Lord, you're preparing us for a revival. We know that you're going to return. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that we're watching and we're praying and we're expecting. Lord, we're ready and we're readying our hearts. And I pray that you would touch each one of us in a special way to show us what that means for us. How can we continue to make ourselves ready? How can we continue to move towards you in the fullness of what worship means? God, I pray that today you would touch our hearts and show us how we can be more like you in the world that we live in. Instead of being fearful of what's happening, Lord, we're faithful in how we worship you. I thank you for that today. Give us um, that clarity for each one of our lives. Fill us with the Holy Spirit to take courageous steps moving forward. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of difficulty, and all that is transpiring today, we know that you're calling out your people to move forward and inspire the world to see your gospel in such clear, full view. And we thank you, Lord. We worship you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.